0: Hi, welcome to the Sun Grove Podcast. We're so glad you decided to click and listen to this video. I hope it's encouraging to you wherever you are and draws you closer to Christ this week. So good to have you in here today. And I wanna talk about some things that are hard. And I gotta tell you something, that sometimes things are hard, but it doesn't mean that they're bad. Sometimes things are just hard, but that doesn't mean that they're bad. If you've ever learned to try to learn how to play a musical instrument, it's hard. But it's not bad. But it's a hard thing to have to do to try to learn to play a musical instrument. Some things in life are hard, but that doesn't mean that hard things are bad and our culture gets it wrong. Because our culture wants to teach you and me that if it's hard, then maybe it's bad. But that's not true because there are a lot of hard things that you and I do that are actually good for us. There's a lot of hard things that we endeavor that actually give us significance. If everything was easy, we would just roll over and we would say, oh, there's no challenge to life. There's no excitement to life. There's no you know, energy that I need to manufacture in life for to get up for a moment if everything's just simple and easy for you. If it's hard, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad. Working out is hard but it's really good for you. In fact, saving financially is hard, but it's good because it opens future possibilities and opportunities for you if you do the work of saving hard. And actually having a hard conversation with somebody, it's tough, but it can lead to resolution. It can even lead to trust because you were honest with somebody where before you were dishonest or before you just hadn't breached that subject. Just because it's hard doesn't mean It's bad. How many of you in here know that waiting is hard? Just being honest, waiting? Waiting is hard, isn't it? Kids in here, is it hard to wait for Christmas? Christmas morning, that's hard, isn't it? Yeah, it's tough to be able to wait for Christmas or wait for other things. Some of you in this room, you could not wait for your kids to go to camp. (laughs) And now that the buses have driven away, some of you, you can't wait till they get back. What is wrong with you, right? Others of you are like, nope, I'm all good. I'm all good. In fact, it's a good little breather that they're off to camp. And God's going to do great things in their lives at camp. God's going to do good stuff. But sometimes saying goodbye to them and sometimes waiting for them to come back can be hard. But just because it's hard doesn't mean it's bad. Listen, waiting for anything can cause you and me to lose our temper, to lose our minds, and lose civility more than we would like to admit. When you're waiting at the stoplight, when you're waiting in the line at the store, when you're waiting and you know you need to be somewhere and you're in a rush and you have a sense of urgency, waiting can be hard, but that doesn't mean that waiting is bad. Just because it's hard doesn't mean that it's bad. In fact, waiting on God is never a bad idea. Would you agree with that? But to wait on God for his timing, for his agenda, for his plan, for his perfection, waiting on God isn't a bad thing. But is it hard? Yes, it's definitely hard to wait on the Lord. I'll tell you what bad is. Bad is not waiting on God. Bad is stepping in front of God when he's moving and you get in front of him. That's what's bad. When you step in front of God, you risk the, run the risk of getting trampled. It's bad when you and I run ahead of God, we run ahead of him and his plan, then we create something that God works to undo because we've made a mess of things. That's what's bad. Nothing good from step comes from stepping in front of God. Is God ever late? No. Is God ever early? No. Wouldn't you agree that God's timing is always perfect? That his timing is just on the right moment at the right time. Now for us, it may not be our agenda. For us, it may not be our timeline, but is God ever late or early? No. Is an all-powerful God able to change your circumstances? Of course he is. But does he always choose to do it on our timeline? No. Here's a truth, and a truth that Peter, in the book of 2 Peter, was writing to the people of the day who were being persecuted in the church. And this truth is this, he's saying, listen, you're being persecuted now, but here's a truth. Jesus is coming back. I want you to think for just a minute right now in your own life and in our day and in our age, and I wanna just ask you in your heart, do you believe that someday Jesus is coming back? Like physically, he's coming back. He will be seen in the air. It will be evident to all. Jesus is actually going to return. And A lot of times we know that up here, but our heart kind of goes, I don't know. It seems like it's been an awfully long time. And the 18 inches between those two sometimes get in conflict. There's a truth that Jesus is coming back. But what happens when you wait on the Lord and he hasn't come back? What happens when you and I try to create heaven on earth? Is that a good experience or a frustrating experience? A frustrating experience, because we get tired of waiting on the Lord, so we think, well, maybe I could bring heaven to earth. Maybe I could make my life like a utopia on earth, and life is hard, and life is relentless, and life doesn't give you guarantees that any of that will work out, and yet our world tells us, get your forever home. The truth is, it's gonna age, it's gonna have things that break down. The more you have, the more that what you have has you If we try to create a utopia on earth, it's frustrating. Is that gonna go well? No. What happens when you try to take revenge on those who persecute you? Is that going to satisfy your inner longing for justice? Instead of waiting on God, waiting on God to bring judgment on those who have sinned against you and who have wronged you, when you and I try and take revenge, will it actually satisfy the deepest parts of our soul or will revenge end up changing you and corrupting your character? See, when you and I, when we step in front of God, when we run in front of God, we end up getting, in a sense, trampled. And sometimes that trampling is our own doing. We run ahead thinking we will satisfy and recover our losses. But if these people who are being persecuted tried to cause revenge on those who are persecuting them, in a sense, their persecution would ramp up. They instead are instructed to wait on the Lord's judgment. (coughs) Waiting on God, doesn't mean that you and I sit around just watching the clock. You hear in scripture a lot, wait, wait on the Lord. And a lot of times you're just like, oh, does that mean I'm just like hands off and I just sit there like, all right. Give him a minute, minute and a half. No, waiting on the Lord is not passive. Waiting on the Lord is active. That when you wait, you're supposed to actually do something. Let me just ask you this question. Are we supposed to just sit, and we know Jesus is coming back, but are we supposed to just sit and wait, get out on a lawn chair in our backyard and just wait for Jesus to come back? Or are we to be about the Father's work until he returns? So waiting is not passive, waiting is active. We're supposed to be doing the will of the Father until he returns and for a lot of us, the hope is, the joy is that while you're doing the work of the Father, he shows up and it's a surprise because no one knows the date or time and Jesus comes back but he finds us being faithful. Waiting is not passive, waiting is active. And here's why you need this sermon. It's easy to get frustrated with God when his action doesn't correspond to your timeline expectation. How many of you have prayed for the fire up north to be finished like today? You've prayed for friends, you prayed for families, you prayed for people up in Reading, and, and it's just, it's terrible what's going on there, and it's a wasteland. If it were up to our timeline, that fire would go out today. God would send a big storm, it would rain down, and it would help all the firefighters who were out there risking their lives uh, to be able to do that, and we think it would just go right out, that's our timeline. But it's easy to get frustrated with God when his action doesn't correspond with our timeline expectation. And these people under persecution, when that happens to you and you're being persecuted, that can lead to a loss of hope, wondering if God's ever going to show up at all. So that's why you need this sermon and that's why Peter is writing to people who are being persecuted. So in the book of 2nd Peter, if you turn there, we're going to read the theme verse. You can remain seated where we are, but we're going to read it here because Peter's going to deal with the private battles the inner doubts and fears and insecurities that lurk within a Christian and threaten to derail his or her life. And Peter's going to convince you and he's going to convince me that we have everything we need to live a godly life. So read with me 2 Peter 1 verse 3. It says this. We get that, there we go. His divine power has given us everything we need, out loud, for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Again, that the God's divine power has given us everything we need. And that's what this whole book is about, that Peter's saying, listen, I know my time is short. I know I'll probably be martyred for the kingdom and doing the will of God. I'm gonna die, it's not gonna be comfortable, but I wanna remind you that you have been given through God's divine power, everything you need to live a godly life. And second, then he backed it up by saying, you have everything you need to trust the reliability of the Bible. And third, he said, you have everything you need to identify a false teacher, to identify fake teaching or a fake teacher. And then now he's going to tell us, you have everything you need to trust God's timing. And if you're taking notes today, we're going to be in Second Peter, beginning with chapter 3. The first fill in the blank on your outline is this. When in God's waiting room, remind your anxious heart that God's plan and ways succeed. God's plan... God's ways succeed, they always succeed. But our heart gets anxious and we begin to wonder, is that really true? Whether you're waiting on an inheritance and that inheritance might be stuck in probate and it seems to take forever for that thing to get settled out, and you're waiting on God, you're waiting for some of those things to be, waiting is hard. Whether you're waiting for legal justice in an area of your life, whether you're waiting on a health condition in your life for the life of somebody you love to improve, whether you're waiting for a fire to go out, remind yourself, when in God's waiting room, remind your anxious heart that God's plan and his ways succeed. So Peter starts writing again to his recipients and he says this in 2 Peter 3, verse one. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome what? thinking, wholesome thinking. So he's going to deal with our mind as he's also dealing with our heart, but I want you to catch that. He goes on and says, I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Again, he's reminding the people that God has given us promises in the Bible. And the beautiful thing about God's promises is that his promises give you and I courage to actually follow God. When we're scared, when we're intimidated, we have some promises and we see the promises of God and we we risk trusting that those promises are true. It gives us courage to follow him. When we find out that God is for us, that he'll never leave us or forsake us, that God loves us, that God sacrificed himself for us, that he went through uncomfortable, hard things. We say, I can do that too then. It gives me courage to follow you. So I have to remind my anxious heart that God's plan and God's ways succeed. How do we do that? We've gotta take captive our anxious and our mistrusting thoughts and make them obedient to Christ. You say, what do you mean? Well, let me just tell you something. We have to capture our anxious and mistrusting thoughts because those anxious and mistrusting thoughts have already captured us. We don't have to wonder about like, well, I better stop that before it captures me. The truth is by the time you often recognize those anxious thoughts, those mistrusting thoughts, by the time you recognize that, so often it's already captured you. You've been taken captive by that anxious thought. You've been taken captive by that mistrusting thought. You've been taken captive with your fears and your worries. And all of a sudden, God's saying, listen, I've given you the mind of Christ, so we have to capture those thoughts and make them obedient to what Christ says because our our heart wants to get involved and it wants to take those thoughts and believe them and ingrain them way down deep in our heart. And instead, we take them captive 2 Corinthians 10, 5, Paul, the apostle reminds us, he says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we what? What do we do? Take captive every thought. And what are we gonna make that thought do? We're gonna make it obedient to Christ. And some of you, that might be like new information. Like, really? Like, how do you do that? But the truth is you capture the thought that's already captured you like, I'm afraid this isn't gonna work out. I'm afraid God's abandoned me. I'm afraid that this is such an impossible situation. I'm afraid that there's no hope. And Peter would have reminded us in his first book, you, you have hope and you have everything to live for. In fact, the future starts now, even when you're being persecuted. And for you, it may be persecution of your body. For you, it may be persecution of your mind, or your heart, or the people around you, or it may be circumstantial, or it might be your impossible situation. And Peter's already reminded us that the future starts now, you have everything to live for. So we capture the thought of that persecution bring the hopelessness, and we make it obedient to Christ. I have everything to live for. The future starts now, irrespective of my past, irrespective of my present circumstance, irrespective of my choices, irrespective of my mistakes. I'm going to capture all those things and say, from this moment forward, I've got everything to live for, the future starts now. So we take captive every thought and what do we do? We make it obedient to what Christ says. You know why? Because sometimes if we just believe what we say or what's in our head, we're gonna run toward despair, hopelessness. We're gonna be overwhelmed. We're gonna believe everything in the news that tells us everything exists to be afraid of and everything exists to kill us. And things that used to be good are bad for you now, and things that used to be bad, apparently are supposed to be good for you now, and you just wait two years, and it'll be bad for you again. It's all gonna kill us. We're all gonna die, is what you know, the news says. And there's horrible things that are gonna happen everywhere, and it's gonna elevate our fears. And what do we do? We take those thoughts captive, and we make them obedient to Christ. And there are times that we cut out the source of our fears, whether that's media, whether that's the voices of well-intentioned friends, whether it's anything else, we take them captive, and what do we do with them? We make them obedient to who Christ says that we are, and what Christ has called us to do. Second on your outline, God gives clear direction when you're willing to wait. God will give clear direction when you're willing to wait. How often have you and I made a rash decision because we were just simply unwilling to wait? I don't have time. I feel like I'm afraid I don't have time. I I don't have, I got to make this decision. Then you look back and go, man, I decided poorly. We have to basically realize that sometimes we've jumped into an errant conclusion about somebody or about something because we just didn't have time to wait for clarity. I don't have time for all the information. I'm just going to jump to a knee-jerk reaction. I'm afraid to wait on God. I don't have clarity. Sometimes waiting for clarity just drives us crazy. So we decide, don't we? God, I've prayed about it, I've thought about it, but I just don't have time, so I'm going to just run ahead of you. And we jumped to a conclusion, and we didn't give it time to sit and to let that decision wait before the Lord. When we began looking for an all in one facility as a church, it began what we hoped was a very quick process. We thought in 2009, uh, when we started up a building team to start looking for what might be available in the Elk Grove areas, we were renting, uh, set up and tear down every weekend at Franklin High School. We thought, well, maybe, maybe this will be a real quick thing and we'll get into something and we'll get out of our current lease and we'll be able to jump into something. And as we began to look, it didn't begin a quick process, it began a three-year process. And during that time, it refined us. It, it basically walked through as we, we said, what do we need? Maybe we just, you know, we, instead of renting offices, maybe we need offices. We don't need offices. We need an all-in-one facility. We don't just need a weekend thing. We need something that has offices and a facility. We need, we need an all-in-one and what's available in Outgrove. And there was nothing really available in Outgrove. And so we began to wait and we looked at lots of things. Right across the street from us here is a Calvary Chapel Church. They're doing good work. They love Jesus. But we looked at that building and we made a lowball offer on that building. And we knew the parking was too small for us. And we knew that there were some other liabilities in that. But we made an offer on that building and that offer got rejected and we were actually okay with it. We looked at some property right over by the large gas propane tanks over there off of 99. And the railroaders right there, I gotta tell you this one story. It's pretty funny. So we're there with the real estate agent and uh, he's showing us this building. This building, this bu- this building you're sitting in is 44,000 square feet. That building was 100,000 square feet, okay? And he's saying, hey, the price of this building is this much, and you guys could get into it for this much. And right as he's saying that, the train comes by, and, it's, and it goes... Uh, you know, honks the horns and like, we can't hear him more. He's like, the price of this building is uh, you know, cause he's talking and it's way too loud. And we're thinking like, could you imagine being in the middle of Sunday morning and we have to wait for the train to go by, right? Well, every time the train honked, the guy next to me kept saying he kept dropping it by a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> I think by the time we were done, it was like 400,000 made according to my friend next to me. Right. So we're cracking up and the real estate guy puts his head down. And he's like, I should have checked the train schedules before giving you guys a tour of this one. (laughs) Yes, you should have. (laughs) But we looked, and we had a lot of possibilities that ended up being no's, and we began to look and wait on the Lord, but we needed clarity. We needed clear direction from God. That doesn't mean it didn't have its challenges. That didn't mean it, it didn't cause us to be scared out of our minds. It didn't it mean that it didn't cause us to, to wonder, well, this could fall apart because of ABCD. Because getting in this facility had all those experiences, but we waited. Every experience, every step on the Lord, and God brought us clarity, and the Lord went before us and fought the battles we could not in our own, and God got us in here. We wait for God to give clear direction, and I hope you do too. Because God's gonna give you clear direction if you wait on Him. But if you and I just wait in our own heads, I think sometimes we just get more and more confused. We get overwhelmed. And then we say, God, well, fine, I'm gonna throw my hands. I just need an answer. Even if it's a bad decision or the wrong, I just need to move or to go or to do something instead of waiting on the Lord. Well, let's clarify that a little bit for you. On your outline, there's a bullet point that says, God uses your waiting time to get you on his timeline. Delayed timing is something that will oftentimes drive me nuts. I have a sense of urgency in my life. I think that there are important things to do and places to go and people to meet and, and I'm a, you know, i am I want to hustle. And sometimes I got to realize that delayed timing is actually perfect timing in God's eyes. You might want to write that down, that delayed timing is actually perfect timing in God's eyes. Some days if I'm here and I'm working and I have not packed a lunch and I, uh, have to, I'm gonna go out and grab some lunch somewhere, uh, I found that uh, God does something pretty unique that I will get really indecisive when I get hungry about where I wanna eat. Like I, I don't know where I wanna eat. I just, yeah, I just, and I start getting indecisive and that indecisiveness at times when I'm hungry will cause me to like stall and waste time and it used to frustrate me. It used to frustrate me. I'm like, I should have just decided and gone there and got some food and got, but here's what I found. That sometimes God uses my delayed timing to set up a God appointment because he wants me to run into somebody and meet with them in our city. So here I am thinking, I'm just stalling. I'm indecisive. I don't know. And the reality is God's like, no, Dave, I'm just stalling you because you got the sense of urgency. Like I'm just stalling you, Dave, because I want to intersect you with somebody who just needs to have a conversation with you. And sometimes that really blesses you, Dave, and sometimes that really blesses them. But it's something I'm doing. And all too often I find out, wow, God actually uses sometimes delayed timing for his purposes, for his appointment. Sometimes he's just waiting to get me on his timeline. You know what has happened when I begin to see this pattern of that? It's begun to strengthen my faith. I don't see delayed time as so frustrating anymore. I start saying, okay, Lord, what are you doing? Where are you going? What would you put in front of me? Because delayed timing is perfect timing from God's point of view. It strengthened my faith. And that's one of the things that God wants to do. You say, why do we have to wait with the Lord? Well, God wants the waiting season, the waiting time to actually strengthen your faith. The danger is that fears will come along and try and weaken your faith because you're waiting. So that's why we take those captive and we make them obedient to Christ because we want our faith strengthened. And if you don't go through the frustrations of waiting, you don't go through the workout that strengthens your faith. If everything's just easy for you, then you have a very marginal faith. But God wants to strengthen that. Second bullet point on there God uses your waiting time to sift your motives. To sift your motives. See, you and I like to think that we have noble motives, that we have right motives. But the truth is, God knows that waiting will reveal to us our wayward heart. That our motives are not clean cut as we'd like to make them look like they are. That our motives oftentimes have another agenda along with it. And God wants to help us sift through, like what's a good motive and and what needs to fall through? What needs to burn away? What needs to be gone? What needs to be a wrong motive? So we have to ask this question. We have to ask the question, why? And oftentimes we're asking God, God, why do I have to wait? But the question he really wants us to ask is, why do I want this right now? Why do you want this right now? Let me tell you, if you parents, by the way, learn to ask that question of your kids when they want that toy in the store, you enter into a teaching moment. I want this. Why? Why do you want this right now? Why not later? Because I want it, right? You might help them begin to sift their motives, but you begin to ask, why do you want this? I remember uh, when my dad was dying of pancreatic cancer, and I uh, was in the hospital, and I just wanted to be by myself, and I, I saw him suffering, and he was clicking the morphine thing, and it, it had given him all it was going to give him, and I just couldn't stand seeing him in pain. And he was rubbing his face, so I just left the, ho- the, the hospital room, and I went downstairs to a large bathroom, and I just went in the stall and closed the door just to be by myself, and I sat down just on the toilet. And I'm telling God, God, just take my dad right now. Right now, I can't stand to see him in pain. And God basically was like, why? Why do you want this right now? Is it because it makes you uncomfortable? Oh, yikes. That's a tough question, Lord. Why do you want this right now? And I was like, it just, again, it makes me so uncomfortable. And God was like, the Christian life is about me and my glory, not about you and your comfort. And God began to sift my motives. And in a good way to push back at God, I said, okay, but then use my discomfort and my dad's discomfort for your glory, but then don't delay. And he didn't, you know what I found? that delayed timing was actually God's perfect timing, but he had to sift some of my motives because I didn't like being uncomfortable. I didn't like waiting. I just wanted closure, even if it meant a loss. And God just begins to ask why. So let me ask you some questions. Why do you want that promotion? Why do you wanna be married right now? Why do you want to have kids right now? Or not have kids right now? Why do you want to be on your own? Why do you want to move? Why did you want to move here? Why? See what waiting does? Waiting begins to sift our motives because God wants to get to the real us. And sometimes in God's waiting room, you show up thinking, I'm in the room, I'm ready for my appointment, doctor, and I'm here to be with you and I'm ready for clarity in my life. And what you find with any doctor appointment is that you show up to wait. You show up to wait on the doctor. But when God's got us in his waiting room, it's not unproductive. When God's got us in his waiting room, it's because he's beginning to sift our motives. He's beginning to get you and I on his timeline instead of our own. And he wants to give clear direction if we're willing to wait on him. In Mark chapter 14, verse 37, Jesus is about to uh, be arrested. Jesus is about to suffer and take upon himself all the sin of the world. And he's going to cancel that sin out on the cross for those who put their faith and trust in him. He's going to suffer physically. And he is going before the father to pray. But he's got his friends with him, his disciples, and he wants them to pray with him. And so he says, he comes back and he says, Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to who? Who wrote this book that we're looking at today? Peter, Peter. okay? Peter's gonna learn something about waiting. He said, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Then he says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. See, there's this dynamic that our flesh is weak, our flesh gets corrupted by bad motives. Our flesh gets corrupted by urgency and, and wanting our timeline instead of God's timeline. And what Jesus is saying to these friends of his, he's saying, watch and pray. And normally you just say, just pray, just pray for me. Isn't that what you tell your friends? Hey, something's going on bad, just pray for me. And you're hoping that they'll pray for me, but Jesus tells them to watch and pray. It's a unique combination, I want you to catch it because just praying could be a little bit active, but watch and pray is very active. What are you doing when you're watching and praying? The action of prayer is to anticipate God working. It's to look for it as you continue to pray. So in your outline, number three, that action of prayer, what are you doing when you're watching? What does watch mean, watch and pray? It doesn't mean like be on lookout, It's not what Jesus is saying. Hey, let me know when the guy's come to arrest me. It's not what he's saying. What he's saying is anticipate that when you pray, God is going to be moving, but you're gonna have to watch for it. It may not be as immediate as you think, but when you pray, you're gonna pray with anticipation. God, you're going to do something and I'm going to anticipate it and I'm gonna keep praying until I see that fulfilled. So God, I'm gonna watch for you. I'm gonna look for your motion. I'm gonna watch for you to do it. So through every appointment, watch and pray. Through every dating experience, watch and pray. Through every impossible situation, watch and pray. Every setback, every challenge, watch and pray. And every year that seems to go by without any clarity or answer in sight, watch and pray. Our flesh wants to fall asleep. Our flesh wants to say, well, forget it. I'm out of here. I'm going to leave the garden. Our flesh wants to say, I'm just going to move on, God, without you because I just don't seem to have clarity right now. And Jesus is saying, watch and pray. It's active. Let me begin to sift your motives. Let me get your mind on my timeline because the two aren't always the same, are they? Watch and pray. Well, Peter tells us what happens to people who don't watch and pray. It says, those who don't watch and pray become blinded mockers. They become blinded. They cannot see. They cannot have clarity. Their mind is discerned. They can't get it. And so he tells the people who are being persecuted what happens and what's going on with those who mock them. And it says, above all, again, he says, above all, this is very, very important. He's saying, listen up. You must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming that he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on, has its sense from the beginning of creation, but they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And by these waters, also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for what? For fire, being kept for the day of judgment, and the destruction of the ungodly. See, God's given us the promise, the promise of the rainbow. The rainbow says, the promise of it is, I will never destroy the entire earth with a flood again. And that's God's promise. When you see a rainbow in the sky, God is promising you, even though you're driving, even though you're texting, even though you're distracted, God is still saying, look up, here's my promise. I will never destroy the entire earth with a flood again. We say, thank you, God. But what he's telling us here is, it won't be a flood, it'll be a fire. And you can just picture the destruction because we see what happens when we get forest fires, grass fires, brush fires. God's gonna use fire to reveal what remains. And what he's saying here is that these people who don't watch and they don't pray, they're gonna become blinded mockers. And, and, and there's something that I want you to grab a hold of here. He says, some people deliberately forget They deliberately forget, like on purpose, they're forgetting the reality of God's creation and destruction, while others are conditioned to reject the truth of either. The truth of either God's creation and God's destruction of the ancient world and the fact that God's coming back. But I want you to understand that there's a unique thing that happens here. There are some who on purpose, they forget. They reject it. I don't believe. Ever since They say what these people say. Ever since the beginning of time, it seems like things have gone on like they always have. I don't know that your Jesus is ever coming back. And that's what they'll say. In fact, I don't think God was even involved in the beginning of the world. I don't think God created the world. And so there are some who deliberately separate their accountability to God in their statements. And they mock you for your faith in the beginning of the world. They mock you for your faith and how things came about. They mock you for your science of how things happened when the flood happened. But there are other people, I'm not sitting there like deliberately trying to forget. There's a majority of people who have just been conditioned by their education to remove God from the equation. And there's a whole lot of people right now. And there's a whole lot of good science right now of people who are looking at the evidence who are discovering and saying, could it be that there's a different story than the one we've been fed? Could it be that there's a perfect blend between faith and science? Could it be that there is a God of such unique design that faith and science can correspond? Could it be that some of the science I've looked at and believed is actually a spin on the real thing? And when I question it, I do find that I'm mocked. But I love it. I love it when young adults ask good questions. I love it when people say, My heart is so attached to good science and yet I gotta believe that there's a God of mystery who is even bigger than that, who is outside of me, who is more powerful that I just simply cannot believe that things came into being like the narrative I've been told. See, there are some who deliberately forget. They reject Christ. There are others who just have been conditioned their whole life. I just haven't heard another explanation. But their heart wants to. And let me tell you, as we've got kids in here today, some of them are being classically conditioned to forget the reality of God. But that's where we as parents come along that we are the ones to provide another narrative for them. And so it is our job to walk them through the scriptures. It is Peter reminding people who are persecuted. They're like, I don't know. I mean, it sounds pretty accurate that things have always gone on since it has from the beginning and I'm being persecuted. I'm really uncomfortable. And he is saying, listen, remember, Remember that God created the heavens and the earth. Remember that the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire and that there is a God coming back. Number six on your outline, when you don't trust God's timing, you actually misunderstand God's heart. Have you ever been grossly misunderstood? Like people maybe saw your action, but they did not understand what was in your heart. That's a tough place to be when you're grossly misunderstood because you're like, you didn't even understand what was in my heart. And if you were to explain that, people would be like, oh my goodness, of course. I totally missed it because your heart. Well, when you and I don't trust God's timing, we actually are misunderstanding his heart. We're not really questioning his plan. We're questioning his heart. We're saying, God, your plan doesn't fit into my plan, so I think you've got a bad heart. Because this is hard for me, and hard must be bad. And you begin to turn that back at God. So you're not really questioning God's plan, you're questioning God's heart. God, are you good when life isn't good? Are you? So Peter tells us in chapter three, verse eight and following, he says, do not forget this one thing, dear friends, With the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to what? To repentance. And then he gets to verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. That phrase laid bare actually means what remains after the fire goes through. After the fire goes through and all you see are chimneys and all you see are precious metals that didn't burn up in the heat. And all you see are just the remnant. You can picture what we're talking about here. He's saying the day is coming when God will burn away everything except that which comes from him. The motives, the realities, the plans, the timing, all of it will be laid bare. And you will see that God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Do not forget. Because what happens to us when we mistrust God's timing, we're actually miss understanding God's heart. His heart is to be patient with you. His heart is to be patient with the lost person. His heart is to be patient. He doesn't want any to perish. He wants all to come to repentance. But what do we do? We get persecuted. We're like, God, make them perish now. God's like, I still have a heart even for them, like I had for you. He's a good, good father. Sometimes you and I believe a well-intended statement, but it might be one we need to capture and make obedient to Christ. You might think of this, that when waiting, you might feel orphaned by God. You're in God's waiting room, but you might feel orphaned by him. When waiting, you might decide that the world's way of living and loving and surviving is better for you. And so you stop following God's way of living and loving and surviving and you begin to follow the way of the world. When waiting, you might forget that Jesus is actually going to return. When waiting, you might mistake the evil in the world as God's fault and reject his timing and reject his plan and to rescue the world from all evil. When waiting, you might begin to think that God is not good because life is not good. See, these are the things we capture and we make them obedient to Christ. Because the truth is when you don't trust God's timing, you actually misunderstand God's heart. But when you're reminded of God's heart, you find out that God is good all the time and all the time God is, he's good. He is for you. He loves you. And his patience has a much bigger purpose in his heart. It comes from his heart. His plan comes from his heart. It always has and that he loves you. If I had one wish for you, it is that you would continue to read the word of God and not only read it, but do what it says because I believe if you were to do that, it would transform your life from the inside out. I think it would take the thoughts that capture you and the emotions that capture you and you would find that you can make them obedient to Christ and the quality of your life and your thinking and your daily operating would increase and be on the upslope because as you walk through hard things, you begin to trust the heart of God for you. Thanks so much for joining us on this podcast with Sun Grove Church. We hope it was really encouraging for you in your walk with Christ and that you have some things to apply moving forward, some inspiration for the present and some hope about what God is doing in your past. We're so grateful to be doing life with you. We would love to be connected as part of the global community of believers and to encourage you in your walk with Christ. You can find that at www.sungrove.org or on social media at Sungrove Church.